So again, this is Eric Bricker, and welcome to the Compass webinar of how to improve the cost effectiveness of your fully insured plans. And we have a lot of new people joining, as I uh, mentioned uh, earlier, and we're super appreciative of you being here. And of course, we have many existing clients and many uh, broker and benefit consultant partners that we work with on the line as well. There is a picture of yours truly. And uh, as the chief medical officer of Compass Professional Health Services, I'm also one of the co-founders, did my uh, medical school training at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and then did my residency training at uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I'm a general internist. I actually used to be a hospital finance consultant before going into medicine. Uh, so um, believe it or not, doctors and hospitals actually don't know how to get paid, so they hire outside consulting firms to come in and show them how to do that. And so I uh, had a ton of claims experience on the doc and the hospital side and really just saw so much confusion and frustration uh, on the part of patients and their family members that I wanted to kind of take what I knew as a physician with that hospital finance background and bring that directly to companies and their employees because you know companies are spending a lot of money on their benefits and people obviously are very busy and especially when they're sick um, they just want to focus on getting better. And so just the amount of potential out-of-pocket expense and just the, the time and the seriousness, the gravity of the situation, um, myself and my co-founders, we just knew that if we could take what we knew and bring that to employers and their employees, that would be incredibly valuable. And we're super excited to do that now as part of Alight Solutions. And so uh, Compass was acquired by Alight back in uh, July, so just a handful of months ago. And we're super excited to be able to work with them and their customers. And uh, just a great, I would say culturally, we're very aligned, just a great bunch of people. Um, I also want to point out, not to toot our own horn, but the Navigating Healthcare blog, um, again, one honorable mention for this year. And our, our just awesome marketing team won the 2018 Marketer of the Year for um, uh, business to business uh, social marketing and our compass app actually won uh, the 2018 uh, healthcare app of the year as well so just high level about compass found in 2005 we're close to 300 employees now we've been hiring a whole bunch of people almost 2,000 employer clients we charge per employee per month implementations less than two months we're actually doing a whole bunch of implementations over the course of November and December in preparation for January 1 of 19 um, we have performed over 1.5 million solutions for our members. So, uh, as I have said previously, if you, you name it, we have done it for our members and their and their families. Uh, and utilization is about 25% of an employee population over the course of a year, which goes along with sort of the 80-20 rule about how 80% of the claims are generated by 20% of the employees. So it's those folks that are going to the dock and using their benefits that are most typically using Compass. And these are Compass employees down here. We are not, this is actually shot down uh, downstairs at our building and we're in, uh, in downtown Dallas. So to our topic for today, how to improve the cost effectiveness of your fully insured plan. And so, of course, with being October, we have a wonderful fall picture to get us all in the mood. So at a high level, let's just kind of talk about the dynamics for fully insured groups. Okay, so one, 87% of companies with fewer than 200 employees are fully insured, and only about 13% of companies with under 200 employees are self-funded. Now, on the flip opposite side, 19 15% of companies with greater than 200 employees are fully insured, and 81% of companies with greater than 200 employees are self-funded. 
And so I would say that those statistics very much match up with our client base at Compass. We certainly, we have a group that has 35 employees that is self-funded, but that is the rarity. We also have a, believe it or not, we actually have a, a group that actually has a whole bunch of franchisees that has um, tens of thousands of, of employees that are fully insured. And those are the exceptions. And I would say too, that here for those companies that are over 200 employees that uh, that are fully insured, so sort of those 19% folks there, they tend to be more the folks that have 200, 250, 300, probably 400 employees. We still see a fair amount of those being fully insured. Uh, and then likewise, we don't really start to see a significant number of companies be self-funded until really over 100 employees. We have a, actually quite a few uh, companies with 100, 125, 150 employees that have been self-funded uh, for quite a long time. And of course, I mean, partially self-funded, they still have a stop-loss carrier uh, being that size employer. But just overall, in terms of the breakdown, um, and all these stats, by the way, come from the most recent Kaiser uh, Family Foundation Employee Benefits Survey, which just came out at the beginning of this month, which is excellent uh, if you have not seen it yet. So for companies with fewer than 200 employees, single coverage costs close to $7,000, so $68.96, and then family coverage is close to twenty dollars at $18,739. So that's, that's up about five percentage points from the previous year. Um, and so fully insured employers responsible for keeping their health costs down as well, right? So this is where people say, well, I'm fully insured. I, don't, I can't really control my costs and my premiums. And the answer is that is not true. And we're going to walk through that in greater detail uh, during the course of this presentation. Um, and of course, as all of you know, they hire insurance brokers or benefits consultants as experts and program integrators to lower health care costs. So if, if, if people have the mentality of, well, I'm fully insured, there's nothing that I can do, then just the inertia of healthcare cost inflation is going to cause your premiums to rise and really rise substantially. And so rather than being passive, let's talk about some constructive things that we can do as fully insured employers or brokers and consultants to those employers to actually bring those premiums down. Okay. Now, in order for us to talk about these solutions, we do have to talk talk about the constraints of a fully insured plan vis-a-vis uh, -vis a self-funded plan. So one, there's just a finite number of insurance options, right? Because you're going to be buying essentially a, an insurance plan off the shelf, if you will, from a major insurance carrier. Whereas if you're self-funded, obviously, you know, almost the sky's the limit in terms of not only the plan design, but then also the way that you write the plan documents uh, in terms of like covered and non-covered services. Uh, also, also services requiring or not requiring prior uh, pre-certification, et cetera. So to give you an example, um, we had um, an employer that decided that they just wanted to cover all colonoscopy, preventive colonoscopies uh, for any employee, regardless of their age, whereas, if, and they're self-funded so they could do that uh, because people, you know, really aren't going to be abusing that, right? I mean, people aren't going to really be going out of their way to be getting colonoscopies if they really don't need one. So rather than micromanaging the member and the physician, like choice around that, they said, well, let's just let's just pay for it at 100%. Um, whereas on a fully insured plan, it's going to fall within the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force recommendations for screening colonoscopies, which really is for men and women over the age of 50, and then every 10 years thereafter. There are certain exceptions to that, but that's the general rule. So that's just one example of, of you know, customization of, of the plan versus kind of a standard plan off the shelf. 
Here's probably one of the biggest ones, so limited access to claims data. And so this is where self-funded groups can, can get much more detailed access to their claims data in order to be able to uh, tweak plan design, put in various cost containment uh, solutions or strategies, um, really identify points of education and communication depending upon the types of claims that their employees are generating. Whereas if you're fully insured, you don't have that detailed access to the claims data. And so you can't necessarily specialize your, uh, your programs as well or specialize your communication plans as well than if you had the self-funded uh, claims data. Um, you also have the inability to access PBM rebate arrangements with pharmaceutical manufacturers. So this is much more controversial and sort of in the headlines of the news today. And those are the rebates that pharmaceutical manufacturers pay the PBMs. And so if you're with a major insurance carrier, you're gonna be using also a sort of big name PBM that does not necessarily have flexibility in terms of having transparency uh, and uh, pass-through on those rebates. So, so frankly, you just don't know. And if they tell you they're passing through the rebates, you're just going to have to kind of take them at their word for it because you're not going to be able to get into the details of the proof as to whether or not you actually are getting uh, those rebate dollars, where as if you're self-funded, Funded, then you can do a carve-out PBM. In other words, you can. There's there's many more PBMs that have sort of uh, come you know come about in the last five to ten years that are you know fiduciary, uh, meaning that they are really focused on uh, claims cost reduction for your self-funded plan, and they also um, are very transparent and they literally only charge an admin fee like per script and any rebate payments that they would receive are fully passed through and um, and so we uh, at Compass actually switched our PBMs last year, and I can say personally, our family was paying about $300 a month for an inhaled steroid for my son's asthma. And when we switched over to this different PBM, uh, same pharmacy, same medication, same dosage, same uh, dispensed amount, it went from $300 to $100. Uh, so that just shows, and, and, and so that essentially was were rebate dollars that were no longer being quote unquote siphoned off, but just decreased the cost uh, to, to myself and my family. Okay, now, um, and that stairway, by the way, was budesonide for the, um, for the nebulizer. Okay, so now premium increases may or may not reflect the claims experience. So this is, we're gonna, we're gonna talk in detail below um, about this. And so this is where, with the Affordable Care Act, um, they establish these minimum loss ratios, which basically says that uh, an insurer on an aggregate level uh, needs to pay out 80% of their premiums in claims. And then they can keep the remaining 20% for their own administrative and profit margin. Okay, so in terms of then the actual financial incentive, then if claims go down uh, in, an, uh, in an aggregate fashion, then the insurance carrier's premiums have to come down and those premiums are their top line revenue and so you know most of these or many of these insurance carriers are publicly traded and frankly they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to maximize revenue and profit so therefore they are actually motivated to um, you know so if you know let's just say the premiums were a million dollars well they would have to have claims of expense of eight hundred thousand dollars but if they could have claims expense of double that, 
then they could have twice as much in uh, ad administrative and profit margin. Um, so it, it actually incentivizes the carriers to have greater claims costs as opposed to lower claims costs. Okay, and then the actual credibility um, or what's referred to as being experience rated. So this is where the, uh, the fully insured groups premiums are a reflection of their previous year's claims. And there's a variety of factors that influence this. The biggest one being the size of the group, then also the age of the group and the gender of the group's members impacted as well. But there's actually a fascinating article, um, or it's a, it's a PDF uh, from the Society of Actuaries referred to as a practical approach to assigning credibility for group medical insurance pricing. And so in that article, you can see that a group of with 50 members. Now that's not employees or subscribers. And so the typical ratio of employees to members is uh, one employee for every two members. So this is as small as a group of 25 employees. They basically are 50% credible. Now it depends upon the individual pol the, um, uh, you know, approach um, by the insurance carrier, but they could um, actually base 50% of the premium on that group's um, claims experience. And, and that's where a lot of times it doesn't necessarily apply to groups of 50, but we see a lot more in fully insured groups of, of 100 and 200 and 500 members. So in terms of employee counts, you would divide that by two. So that's 50, 100, and 250 employees, which is very much within the wheelhouse of what a fully insured group is. And you can see that 62% of the premium is a ref, uh, is a reflection of their claims. 75% of their premium is a reflection of their claims. And here, 87% is a reflection of their claims. So what this means is that you, as a fully insured employer, if you can decrease your claims, then that would have, for every, let's say, dollar that you decrease your claims, then you would have a concomitant Let's say if you're a group of 500 here, a concomitant about 87 cent decrease in your premiums for every dollar that you save in claims. Now, of course, there's there's you know the marketing negotiation back and forth between the the insurance broker and the sales and marketing department. Um, so that is separate from underwriting. And so literally in this article by the Society of Actuaries, it actually talks about that interplay between sales and marketing and underwriting at the insurance carrier. So like I said, there's more factors that go on, but the point is, is that you as a fully insured employer, to the extent that you can decrease your claims, then you can decrease your premium. It is doable and we have absolutely seen that happen, in fact, with employers across our client base, okay? So then we have to talk about, okay, claims cost. So the claims cost equation is very simple. I've gone over this in other webinars, but I just want to briefly describe it here. So the price per unit times the number of units equals the total cost or the total of claims cost, right? So that means to reduce the cost, you must either reduce the price per unit or the number of healthcare units or both. So in other words, the average price per MRI times the number of MRIs equals your total MRI claims cost. The average price per surgery times the number of surgeries equals your total surgery. So you can do that by labor and delivery, endoscopies, x-rays, ER visits. So you can do that across all your different types of healthcare claims and you add that up and that comes up to your claims total. Okay, so now we're going to break down these strategies that you as a fully insured employer can do as either affecting the 
price per unit or as affecting the number of units or as affecting both. Okay, so strategy number one, fewer members on your plan. So we're gonna sort of start with the really obvious one. So if you have less people on your plan, then you're going to decrease the, um, the number of just healthcare uh, units that, uh, that people use. Let's say on average, people have five healthcare units per year, and a unit might be like an office visit or an outpatient surgery, et cetera. So if you had 100 people and then it went down to 80, or if you had 1,000 people and it went down to 800, then you would, uh, then you would decrease your overall healthcare units. So dependent audits have shown that uh, typically five to seven percent of dependents are actually ineligible. So just be aware of that. Um, and then another, it's interesting, another approach that some brokers and employers use to decrease their dependents as well is plan design change. And it's specifically what they do is they increase the out-of-pocket max to encourage employees and spouses with high health care costs to go on a different organization's health plan. And the reason for this is because employees that know they will incur high health care costs actually pay attention to the plan's out-of-pocket max, right? So, so much attention is paid to the deductible, the co-insurance, the co-pay amounts. But for people that have sort of known chronic conditions where they know they're going to have high health care expenses on a year-over-year -year basis, either because they take expensive medications, et cetera, then they are going, they know they're going to blow through their deductible. And so the number that they're really concerned about is their out-of-pocket max. And so we've literally worked with brokers that have decreased the deductibles on some of their groups because they've actually increased the out-of-pocket max, which then causes those folks that, you know, if, if they increase their out-of-pocket max from four grand to six grand or eight grand or even 10 grand, then they're going to, if they do have an option for, let's say, a spouse that's a school teacher that has richer benefits, then instead of being on the company's plan, then they're going to switch over to the spouse's uh, plan um, that has the richer benefits through the school system, as an example. Now, I'm not here today to debate whether or not that is or is not the right thing for you in your particular situation to do as it relates to your employees, but I'm just giving you two examples of what other employers have specifically done to decrease the number of members on their plans. Strategy number two. So consumer directed health plan. Okay, so we've talked about this uh, many times and the um, Kaiser Family Foundation Employer Healthcare Survey for 2018 actually has some really interesting stats on um, CDHPs for 2018 as well. And it, the, the, the prior research, you can go down to these sources down here, shows that it actually does reduce the number of healthcare units, okay? Now, um, interestingly, millennials are twice as likely to select a CDHP than older employees. Now, the reason this is interesting is because millennials actually make up the largest uh, segment uh, of all the generations. So millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, um, that millennials actually are the largest of those three generations in the workforce. And obviously, because they're so young, they're the fastest growing. And so therefore, uh, there, to a certain extent, there is a demographic push for greater adoption of CDHPs because these millennials are the ones that are more likely to uh, adopt them. So, and they have been shown empirically because again, the insurance carriers themselves have CDHP, CDHP plans, typically a 100% replacement CDHP plan 
for their own employees, right? So the insurance carriers who know the most about claims costs, who look at their claims costs in great detail, who oftentimes are publicly traded and have fiduciary responsibility to be profit maximizing, they themselves offer a CDHP oftentimes is the only option for their employees. And it decreases outpatient spending, but it does not necessarily decrease, uh, cause a decrease in low value spending. In other words, there tends to be an overall decrease in spending. So there are some high value services that might be decreased. So the classic example of that is with a CDHP, people might be less likely to take an expensive medication like insulin, which then might result in a more serious hospitalization because of out-of-control um, uh, out diabetes, okay? so. There are now there are ways to mitigate that in terms of die-based plan design and actually having things on your plan be at lower cost or zero cost. So that's actually where self-funded groups will actually take certain medications that they consider high value and either make them very inexpensive or even free. So again, when you're fully insured, you can't do that. But when you're self-funded, there absolutely are self-funded plans that do do that. And when we were self-funded at Compass, we actually did do that. Um, likewise. Note that the percentage of employees at small firms, so that, uh, Kaiser defines small, term as, as, uh, small firm as less than 200 employees, which again is going to be those fully insured folks. Uh, that number has increased from 20% to 29% in the last five years. Keep in mind, this has been an environment of a tightening labor market. And so and the, obviously there's, there's uh, for higher say, signs everywhere. And so even it now, the result is, is that the growth of CDHPs has slowed down, especially in the last year. Uh, but what begs to mind is, is that if and when a recession comes, what will happen to employers' promotion and offering of CDHPs when the labor market is not so tight? So I do not have a crystal ball but one of the major impetuses for CDHP growth and adoption was the Great Recession. And so when Compass got started back in 2005, like only 2% of people were on a CDHP. And so now it's almost 30, okay? And the majority of that rise was during, during those recession years. So again, I don't have a crystal ball, but historically that is what ha has happened to plan design offerings given the business cycle. Okay. Now, CDHPs absolutely do save money. I, I've been, I've heard this thing. Well, you know, sure they save money, uh, maybe in the first year, but then it comes back to bite you in subsequent years, and that is actually not borne out. We have you know, on an aggregate basis, sure, individual groups that have a small number of employees, they're going to vacillate much more than a, a much broader population. But CDHPs cost seven hundred dollars less than a PPO plan per employee per year for single coverage and $1,600 less than a PPO plan per employee per year per family. And those are Kaiser numbers, uh, so, um, and, they, and they bear out over time. Okay, strategy number three, healthcare navigations. Uh, so procedure costs can vary by hundreds or thousands of dollars depending upon uh, the doctor, hospital, or facility. And I'm going to go to the next slide real quickly. So this is just a, a common example, and this is what we do every day at Compass through our price transparency and healthcare uh, network maximization, if you will, or let's say for our colonoscopy. So this would not be covered at 100%. This might be like a diagnostic colonoscopy for an actual polyp or Crohn's disease, or if the person has anemia and there's concern for bleeding in the colon, where facility A could be 2,200, facility B could be 1,700, facility C could be 900. 
The physician's fees are much more consistent, 850, 875, 925. Now there could be a separate anesthesia fee or it could be included. Um, and so it, it's actually, uh, Compass actually screens those physicians to see if they do or do not use a separate anesthesiologist or if the gastroenterologist just performs the anesthesia. If the gastroenterologist performs the anesthesia, then it's included. There's no separate bill. If an outside anesthesiologist performs it, not only is it an extra $450 or $355, but typically that anesthesiologist will be out of network. So that fee will actually then fall to the out-of-network deductible and out-of-pocket max as opposed to this uh, up top going to the in-network deductible and max. But the point is, is that there's great a great degree of variability. So this is not, so you have a variety of discounts and a variety of build charges throughout your existing network, even in your local area. And so you, even as a fully insured employer, you can actually still steer to those more cost-effective providers within your local area. And so we're going to talk specifically more about that. Uh, and the reason for this is because um, insurance carriers are often prevented from in-network steerage because of contract terms with major hospital systems. And so this is where even through their online uh, price transparency information. There is, there could be holes in that data. There could just be very broad ranges where it might say hospital A is a thousand to three thousand, hospital B is a thousand to three thousand, hospital C is a thousand to three thousand. And you're like, okay, well, all of those ranges all overlap or all are exactly the same. And so while you've quote unquote offered me transparency, it's not granular enough for me to actually make a cost comparison decision. And so to a certain extent, that is why. Uh, employer groups then use Compass for our more granular pricing so that we can give you a much more specific, uh, not only estimate in terms of the total cost, but we also load the plan documents and accumulators into our system so that we can let you know specifically where you stand on your specific plan, how that relates to you, the employees out of pocket costs as well. And what's that called? That's called actionable intelligence. That That's actually information that you can do something about. Um, as opposed to sure, quote unquote, uh, pricing information, but if you can't actually make an educated decision that changes the outcome based upon that information, then it's really not uh, helpful. Um, okay, now, this next point is also very important in that getting people to the right doctor from the start is the key to controlling downstream medical costs. So what do I mean here is that people say, well, the patient can't actually control their decision about where they go, what type of service. And in some situations that's true and in some situations that that's not. And okay, so one is I would say that for outpatient imaging and lab and a lot of outpatient procedures, especially if you're in a larger metro area or even a mid-sized city that typically has like two hospitals or two hospital systems in it, and I'd say like your sort of prototypical city like that might be like Shreveport, Louisiana, right? So the city's got, as long as you live in a city that's got more than 100,000 people, then you probably have some choice, okay? So that means that um, you can take advantage of those various prices uh, within your local area. But then number two, it also just depends upon the relationship that the person has with the doctor uh, and how much they're willing to assert their own opinion and choice because the doctors don't know what those costs are at all. 
they really are unaware. And so they are going to make be making referral decisions without your specific out-of-pocket max or deductible in mind. And so really the only person who's going to be looking out for that is you yourself. Okay, so fine. That sounds like a lot of work and that sounds pretty complicated. But what if you were connected to and saw a physician that already had referral habits that were consistent with being cost-effective and less out-of-pocket costs for you? What if you saw a physician that was already associated with a hospital or with an ambulatory center, surgery center or with an imaging center, imaging center that was already cost-effective for you? Then just their regular uh, referral habits would be cost-effective for you. So rather than trying to micromanage the physician's individual referral performance, let's just find those physicians that are already referring in a cost-effective medicine, and let's just match people up with them. And that is a big part of the COMPASS approach as well, where for primary care physicians, we have done analyses to show that not only are the highest quality physicians more uh, cost effective, but the lower quality physicians are less cost effective. And to a certain extent, that relates to things like, it varies by specialty. So in the case of primary care physicians, the more expensive primary care physician, they do a ton of referrals to specialists. They probably over-refer for specialists. They also refer for unnecessary screenings, like carotid ultrasounds. So the US Preventive Services Task Force does not recommend carotid ultrasounds. And then uh, on the flip opposite side, they don't do as much preventive care compliance. So catching things like high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol early. So by finding those folks that actually do like more of a patient-centered medical home, it not only gets you higher quality care, but it ends up being cost-effective. You say, okay, well, that that's fascinating, Dr. Bricker, but only about a third of my employees go to a primary care physician over the course of the year. What about specialists? Well, two of the most frequently utilized specialists for an employer populate, population are orthopedists for musculoskeletal claims and OBGYN for uh, annual well-woman visits and for prenatal and labor and delivery. So for orthopedists, the high-cost orthopedists are typically associated with a high-cost facility. They often have high surgery rates versus referring people out for physical therapy. And we can actually see this in our data, where we can see people coming in with a diagnosis code of knee pain. And we can just see that even in the same metro area, sometimes even within the same practice, that certain orthopedists will actually have much higher rates. Now, you could say, well, you know, risk adjustment, yada, yada, yada. Well, that's certainly true, but noise in the data deviates towards the null hypothesis. In other words, no noise in the data, data means that there would uh, be more likely to be no difference between the two. So that means that if there is a difference, then there's really a difference between those two. Um, using excessive high cost imaging and poor outcomes, and we're actually using not only commercially insured data, but also Medicare data as well, because you got to remember, oftentimes these orthopedists, as many as 50% of their patients are actually on 
Medicare. So to actually use that Medicare data when assessing these physicians, not in terms of their cost, right? Because the Medicare cost is completely unrelated to you as a commercial insurance cost. However, in terms of the volume of their procedures and the outcomes of those procedures, you absolutely can use Medicare data. Okay, likewise for OBGYNs, high cost OBGYNs often have, again, high cost facility re uh, relationships and high C-section rates. So this is fascinating. So this is a whole other webinar topic for another day. But there are some OBGYNs and actually some entire OBGYN departments or practices, if you will, that have C-section rates as high as 50%. And there are others that have C-section rates as low as like 15 to 17%. And the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, ACOG, even has guidelines for what the overall aggregate C-section rate is. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I think it's somewhere between 15 and 25% of deliveries. Okay, so it's a significant minority, but it's certainly not 50%. And the reason that's important is, be, and there's also been a push, by the way, to end what are referred to as elective C-sections. And what happens is, not in all cases, but in some cases, is that obviously in the third trimester, the, the, um, the pregnant woman is very uncomfortable. And, uh, and so especially, and, and so they, they, they don't want to go past 37 weeks. So 37 weeks is kind of the magic number where the outcome for the baby and the mom is the same as going to full term at 40 weeks. And so some people are actually having their babies before 37 weeks because they're uncomfortable. Now, sometimes it is or is, is not documented for an actual, you know, uh, real medical reason. Let's say the woman is becoming hypertensive, which is associated with like preeclampsia, in which case delivery early is completely appropriate. But in other cases, it's really um, not for that reason. And so... Um, anyway, like I said, that's another conversation for another day, but, uh, but obviously C-sections not only, um, cost much more, they're upwards of 25 to 30 grand versus as low as uh, seven to eight grand for a normal vaginal delivery, but they also come with, uh, complications and also with abdominal hernias, right? Because there is a surgical, uh, wound, oftentimes, uh, there could be a hernia after the wound as well. Expressive, uh, excessive use of brand name drugs and then high cost of in-office labs. So again, um, there are incredibly high quality OBGYNs that are actually more cost effective than the others, not only because they use fewer units and less intense units, but because they practice at more cost effective facilities. Okay. Now, this is probably the biggest trend for self-funded employers, so on-site and near-site primary care clinics. So one-third of large U.S. employers with greater than 5,000 employees, so obviously they're mostly self-funded, not fully insured, offer worksite clinics. I will tell you at Compass, we have a client with 160 employees that is fully insured that has an on-site clinic. So that is the exception, not the rule, but, I, but, but those types of arrangements for groups that are much smaller than people would historically think are absolutely possible. And especially the big kicker is when the employees are concentrated in one geographical area. Okay, so who are those? Municipalities, manufacturing, education, like uh, schools and universities. So uh, this is also a big push for a lot of technology companies, right? Like Apple and Amazon are making a big push as well for on-site clinics. So they reduce healthcare costs for the employer and the employees. They increase preventive care. They reduce absenteeism. They serve as a uh, recruiting benefit. So I would say that one of the keys is, is that these on-site or near-site clinics, the physician is typically paid a salary. So it 
eliminates that perverse incentive of fee-for-service, where the more you do, the more you get paid. So here the physician is just trying to do the right thing. Oftentimes many academic physicians are also this way. And so that, I would argue that eliminating that misaligned incentive of fee-for-service is actually one of the main benefits of on-site or near-site clinic. The other benefit is that it's easy, right? Because it's there, okay? Another thing is typically the employers will make these on-site or near-site clinics at zero or very low cost. And then oftentimes these preventive, these on-site and near-site clinics will then, like so we do this for a municipality in Indiana, we do it for a number of municipalities in Texas, where that on-site or near-site clinic will actually use that Compass because they, they're not a cardiologist, they don't have an MRI machine, et cetera. They will actually then use Compass to act as the, um, as the gateway or the path for referrals outside, again, to maximize the network discounts within their area and using our quality data. So the combination of the on-site near-site clinic and healthcare navigation has actually been very effective for many fully insured groups. Now, there are some efforts by the carriers to actually make primary care more affordable for members. So there's actually some carriers that offer a PPO dual option with an HSA compatible plan with the, with a with a PPO plan right so you offer a, a CDHP with a PPO plan and then the PDA uh, for the PPO plan um, they um, they estimate that costs are 15% lower than traditional PPO plans and they could offer things like PCP visits at $0 copay specialist visits at $100 copays virtual visits for $0 copays urgent care visit, first visit $50, urgent care second visit $50, or so the total out-of-pocket out cost there if they went to one specialist and two urgent care visits plus like 10 primary care visits would only be $200. And part of the reason for these types of plans is because in general, people are healthier and it's more cost-effective if they, if they have greater usage of primary care versus specialist care. And only, as I mentioned before, only about a third of employees at a company have seen a primary care physician within the previous one to two years. Therefore, in just an, a rack off the shelf, fully insured product, there are these plans that are starting to be offered that really provide much greater financial uh, incentives or differences for utilizing primary care versus specialist care. Okay, so key takeaways here. While there are constraints for fully insured plans lowering costs, there are a number of steps that can be taken, like one, decreasing the number of members on your plan, two, adopting a consumer directed plan, three, offering healthcare navigation to help employers make and employees make smarter healthcare decisions, four, offer an on-site or a near-site clinic, or five, offer a $0 copay for primary care. And so with that, I just want to briefly describe Compass's healthcare navigation services where employers and employees can actually now embed Compass within their benefits administration uh, platform because of being owned by a light now. We have already done this integration and it's available for uh, many of the light's existing client base and a light um, has really just done a fantastic job of really making that Ben Admin site single sign-on for those employers and really making it the hub uh, for the employees. Likewise, we also have been embedding ourselves in wellness platforms and TPA portals as well so that you really want to make it a seamless experience so the employee's not having to go to all these different websites and all these different 800 numbers. So Compass's really enhanced ability this year
to actually embed ourselves in the benefits administration platform or in the wellness or the TPA portal, we found has just really made things um, even more simple for employees than it has uh, in the past. Also, to have ongoing access to their health pro, right? So the way that employees and their family members interact with Compass is by phone or email or through the online portal or through the smartphone app. And so the reason that we have this health pro personal concierge model is a lot of people don't even know where to start. So they just need to have sort of an open-ended description. Hey, I'm Bob. I take these three medications. I got this bill from a physical therapist. I don't really know if I should pay it or not. And I really need to go in for my annual physical because I haven't been in like five years. And frankly, I know that my company has this incentive program where I get money off my premiums if I go and get my annual physical. So given all that compass, how can you help? And so that's a very hard thing to do through a self-service website, but healthcare is very personal and emotional. It's very private. And so we found that that personal connection with a sort of a, a healthcare administrative ninja like a health pro is just a fantastic way to engage employees. And so with that, you know, this is the fourth quarter and uh, this is a very busy time of year for all of you. So I really do appreciate all of you coming on to this webinar uh, today. Go ahead and you can type in any questions. If you'd have any, I'd be happy to answer them here at the end. Um, we have many of our webinars and our blogs and our podcasts on our Compass PHS website uh, under blog for blogs and under webinars for webinars and under podcasts for podcasts. So there's a ton of resources there for previous um, uh, webinars and podcasts and blogs that we can put on there. I will also add that, of course, as always, I'd be happy to send you a copy of these slides as well. So just email me at ericb at compassphs.com, and I would be happy to email you these slides. We had like a record number of slide requests last month. Um, it was uh, really, um, it was really awesome. I spent like the whole uh, afternoon replying to those emails. I got so many, so I appreciate your uh, your interaction. And um, we've got a request to go back to a previous slide. So let me see if I can make that happen. Maybe not. Okay, here we go. I'm I'm trying my best. Let's see if I can do it. So. Here we go. I believe strategy number four that you were asking for was for the on-site or near-site uh, clinics. So thank you for asking for that. And um, if there's not any other questions, I just, again, want to thank you so much for all that you have done um, this year and over the years in partnering with Compass. Again, we have many existing customers and many uh, brokers and consultants on uh, the webinar that have worked with us over the years. And listen, it has just been a joy um, and a privilege. And I can't think of anything more gratifying and satisfying. Selfishly, I can't think of anything more gratifying and satisfying than uh, being able to work with all of you and your employees and their families. So we really appreciate that opportunity. And with that, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day.